episode four is unenthusiastically sponsored by Pandora's party favours for when you lack a decent excuse to stay home. Monsoon Jackson, Series 1, Episode 4, Mary Jane. The Solar Force training camp was on the Earth's moon. There was no strategic reason, it was just cheap to hire their first-generation domes. As the first colony, Earth's moon had reaped all the benefits of working out the life-threatening kinks, while also benefiting from being considered the test subject. It was similar to a crash-test dummy for colonisation, and all the respect being a dummy brought with it. The training camp had been designed with no enthusiasm or attention to detail. The only focus had been on minimising cost, the beds were known to collapse without warning and gravity would sometimes fail, making live-fire training exercises acutely interesting. The oxygen scrubbers would sometimes not work quite as well as oxygen-breathing beings needed. But perhaps the most exciting experience was with the plumbing. The water may appear when you turn on a tap, but if instead you heard hissing air, it was recommended to dive for cover and hold on to something before the inevitable vacuum explosion. On the upside, the dome's integrity was good. Even the councils thought it worthwhile keeping their trainee police alive, at least until they had been out on the streets for a while and paid back the training and kit loans. The training itself was brutal. Designed to weed out all but the most committed, or borderline sociopathic, it depended on your point of view. There would be days of physical exercise and ever-changing gravities, hand-to-hand combat with droids, gun training where accuracy was the difference between eating and sleeping hungry. On the really bad days, the trainees would be sat in classes staring at screens of rules and laws. Much as these would be fed to you by your arm-mounted panel device, it was important you knew them. If your panel had glitched, it was important you could still shoot someone with a belief of justice on your side. After a few months had passed, the remaining trainees would be allowed to select a specialism. This could be in subjects such as forensics, tactical, intelligence, operational planning or frontline. The frontline specialists were among the most arrogant, But on the plus side, they were never around long enough to really get under your skin. For most, it was choosing big guns and blowing droids to pieces. Monsoon always wondered if, one day, those droids might take offence and fight back. They were dumb, programmed droids, but even those you considered less than yourself had an uncanny ability to outwit you sometimes. The last council elections were testament to that. The apparent move towards equality and harmony outvoted by greed and misogyny. Not so much the meek inheriting more the wealthy kicking them down the stairs and slamming the door shut. Monsoon had elected to train in tactical. This put him into a category of officers who trained very hard to react as one. They would also eat as one, sleep as one, nod as one. While this creeped Monsoon out, he did admire how much automating process was seen as the solution. It was not as if the droids could. Well... As the final test, Monsoon was assigned to a dangerous undercover operation on Mars. A large number of prohibited items were being moved through various Mars ports en route 
to wealthy customers. No one had yet figured out how. In part, this is because the Philian traders were super keen to kill anyone who showed an interest in their work. Several Solar Force officers had been found, not always in one piece, floating around in space, weeks after starting an assignment. It had become clear to Monsoon almost immediately that this was not just luck. Someone was feeding them information. From there, it did not take long to identify the junior officer who was enjoying a pleasing lifestyle. Although the removal slowed the death rate, the mission itself remained dangerous. Elijah had begged him not to take it. Monsoon explained that this was the final exam for a career that he wanted, that being part of the Solar Force was doing what was necessary to enforce whichever rules suited the Council at that particular point in time. He promised Elijah he wouldn't take risks. He promised Elijah he would never work alone. He promised Elijah so many lies. It was what Elijah needed to hear. Monsoon had always known that this job would come at a risk, and, if he was honest, it was what he needed to keep him sane. There were only so many times you could discuss the virtues of cushions without needing to shoot someone. Of course, he loved Elijah. He loved him with every fibre of his being. But loving someone and not being yourself were not compatible. Monsoon was very clear on who he was and how far he would go. Nothing, absolutely nothing, would change that. After two months undercover, the squad Monsoon was seconded to got a break. A trader had relaxed in a bar and spoken too loudly. The squad now had information on the next shipment. They strapped as many weapons on as they could and set off for the Simpa portal. This portal was only supposed to be used for craft transport. It was a large, simply built portal only designed for onward transit. Much as this made it an odd choice for smuggling, in many ways it also made it the perfect choice. The squad arrived hours before they believed the shipment was due. They found a place to hide, to set up surveillance, to be ready for what undoubtedly would be a nasty encounter. A few hours later, vehicles were observed arriving. The squad readied themselves. It was a massacre. The Felian traders had been tipped off, or, worse still, had planned this elaborate trap. They blew most of the squad to pieces. After the initial firefight, Monsoon was one of only four survivors. This dropped to three when one officer tried to surrender. The traders made it clear, with a single shot, they had no interest in hostages. Monsoon lay prone in the flickering darkness, lighting panels intermittently working while riddled with shot damage. So this was it. He would never receive his badge. He would die here, now. Monsoon pressed the side of his neck to speak to the remaining two. If I'm going out, I'm going out fighting. There were two clicks in response, in agreement. Monsoon loaded two weapons and pulled himself up into a crouch position. Then we go on three. One, two. The ensuing firefight should have been short-lived. It should have seen three junior officers gunned down, torn to shreds by the heavily armed traders. But the suicidal attack had caught the arrogant traders by surprise. Months of success had made them complacent. No one could get the jump on them. While their weapons slung while they prepared for the incoming shipment, the traders were pretty much all killed outright in this assault. Months of tedious training as an officer kicked in. They outmatched and outshot the remaining traders. 
The other two lost their lives, but not before killing a good number of better armed and position traders. Monsoon was sure there'd be a medal for that. It wasn't stealth or tactics that won the day, but pure insane courage. That lesson would forever stay with Monsoon. At some point, you draw a line in the sand and fight to the death and keep that line. As the only survivor, he went around double-tapping the traders' bodies just to be sure. You always had to be sure. During this exercise, Monsoon found his new friend. First, he found a bag containing a single large item that he instinctively knew would come in handy one day. But what really caught Monsoon's attention was nestled in the garishly decorated holster of the eldest recently deceased trader. He'd heard of the MG-72, but only as legend. It was the sidearm every respectable gun collector wanted. However, due to the complexity, over-manufacturing and cost of build, only two had ever been made. It was light, powerful, deadly accurate, could adjust to a range of ammunition and always reliable. Of course, it was against procedure for any items to be commandeered by a serving Solar Force officer. But Monsoon was confident that rule probably did not apply to trainee officers. And by confident, he of course meant that he was having that gun. The moment Monsoon picked the MG-72 up, it felt part of him. The balance, the grip, the exquisitely made working parts. He placed it into an evidence bag. He accidentally stood on the evidence bag tracking chip. He closed the bag. Then he slid the bag deep into his thigh pocket. It could never be used as standard issue, of course. But... If nothing else, it would make for an alternate pension plan. For now, though, she... Yes, something that deadly was she... would stay with Monsoon. Eventually, he even named her... Mary Jane. Monsoon had stayed on at the portal. He was curious to watch the forensic team at work and note the intelligence team advising how they had predicted such an event, but no one had taken any notice. The teams remarked with interest at the lack of shipment. Something was off. Why hadn't the traders brought anything with them, unless the traders had only turned up to ambush the squad? In the distance, in the darkness of a corner, behind a recently replaced panel, there sat a battered grey metal container. Inside that sat the shipment. The moment Monsoon had looked inside, he knew he had to keep it for himself. He wasn't by nature a selfish man, but, like most people, there were just some things you wanted for yourself. Whether Elijah would approve would be a battle for another day. For now, they were his, and his alone. The second thing the forensic team noted was that the portal transit grid was badly damaged. The chances of any recorded transits being recovered were unlikely. Monsoon apologised that it must have been damaged during the firefight. He did point out, though, that the need for evidence was somehow negated by all the traders being dead. It turned out the forensic team did not possess a sense of humour. They did, though, treat Monsoon to a lengthy discussion on the importance of their job and how the tactical teams were just a bunch of gun-toting lunatics. To their surprise, Monsoon was still raw from the loss of his team members. Fortunately, punching out the forensics team leader, while frowned upon, was understood by senior management. Back at the training camp, Monsoon received a standing ovation. The dead were awarded a medal of commendation and a large credit payment to their family. The Solar Force was still in its infancy and believed medals would offset the concerns of potential candidates about death and service. It didn't, 
but it was nice to have something to hang on the wall instead of holding the one you loved tight. Monsoon received a medal, a firm handshake and a nod from the commissioner. He sold the medal to a collector and handed over the credits to the families of the fallen officers. They were handed out anonymously via the use of burn tokens. The Solar Force provided insurance payouts for the fallen, but they were not enough, not nearly enough. Elijah never asked to see the medal. He already knew what Monsoon would have done. As much as surviving the mission had secured Monsoon his police badge, it also brought his name to the attention of the underbelly. A few months later, while Monsoon was deployed on Neptune, he heard that the officer, who initially identified the case, had been found dead. It was suspected suicide. It wasn't suicide. Monsoon's instinct knew what had killed her. She had, just for a moment, not been paying attention. Not been checking her environment. Not been bristling with every change around her. Someone had got to her. Monsoon knew the traders hadn't been acting alone. Someone was behind all of it. Because traders were just not that devoted. It would take him a few years to pinpoint the mastermind. Smuggling had always been part of trading. Much as the small business it had finally beaten big business into submission, there was always more profit to be made. In simple terms, the moment a council banned a particular device or foodstuff, you could guarantee somewhere, somehow, the smugglers would be on it. When Venus banned the importation of replicators to help stabilise their own production market, illegal imports had rocketed. It wasn't that the imports were necessarily better or cheaper, It was that people hated being told what they could and could not do. Traders always profited off of ego. At the time, Earth was producing the most successful replicators. In addition, the most powerful portal was on Earth. It was called the Roken Portal. For those with basic language skills, the name meant smoking. It was an engineer's best joke, but also something early transit attempts definitely were. As a concept, the Roken portal had limited tracking and auditing capability. It was, though, the first to successfully move physical items the vast distances between homes, intact and in the same physical state. Unfortunately, the Roken portal was only suitable for inorganic transit. No one knew a rabbit could create that much mess. The link-up of the Roken portal with Venus had been heralded as a landmark in human evolution. But, as with all landmarks in human evolution, people quickly tired of it and went back to staring at screens. As an early portal, it was also ideal for smuggling. Traders were nothing if not entrepreneurs of technology. It wasn't long before the Solar Force were overwhelmed with reports of illegal transit jumps to Venus. But, as no one was that keen to visit Earth, the smuggling spiralled out of control. Trade became so lucrative that the Venus Council were eventually forced to retract the ban. While order was quickly restored, it had not gone unnoticed that certain traders purchased homes around Saturn. As these homes were worth more credits than most families would see in a lifetime, it did not take a Sherlock to put the puzzle together. Sadly, the investigations went nowhere, and other pressures, mainly from the Council, forced the Solar Force onto investigating new crimes. It was, of course, pure coincidence that the outgoing Solar Force Commissioner managed to buy a home around Saturn shortly after his retirement. He'd settled down to write his memoirs. Of course people would want to read about him. He was important and had much to say. No one would stop him from saying whatever he wanted. It was therefore not a surprise 
when the same commissioner sadly died in a freak accident while fishing on Ganymede. Apparently, the fish had managed to wrap the line around him and slice him into segments. It was, of course, pure logistics and limited resources that prevented the Solar Force from exhaustively investigating that death. Elsewhere in the galaxy, smuggling continued to be a thorn in the side of all councils. Most of the time, it was for goods and foods, but, as with all crime, traders would smuggle whatever made the most money. If somewhere in the galaxy someone was prepared to pay good credits for it, then somewhere a trader was prepared to make that profit. Of course, not all traders would smuggle, just the successful ones. Councils had deployed security forces to the many portals on each homeworld, but the drain on resources and the cost of deployment was not a vote winner. Eventually, at best, spot checks would be undertaken. At best, these would be every few months, and so smuggling carried on. There had been talk of a specialist team being created to focus solely on smuggling. This talk had fizzled out, though, when it became apparent even council members were making use of these exchanges. How else could an agent of Chunian whiskey be served across the solar system when it was explicitly not for resale off Homeworld? Why else would certain council members be able to serve vast amounts of Mercurian ham at their parties, given the punitive import taxes? Smuggling was tolerated because it suited most people when they wanted certain things. For most, this was enough to ignore the underbelly. The children relocated to work in the thin asteroid tunnels, extracting ore. Families ruined by poorly made drugs, ruined by addiction. A whole darkness of profit. But you could just about ignore it if you had the item you desired. Charities were set up to combat smuggling but struggled to make progress, whether this was due to funding or active members finding themselves suddenly dead. Most humans were nothing if not obsessed with wealth and having the best time they could of it, regardless of the cost to the soul. The last time Monsoon set foot on Earth's moon was for the burial of his fallen colleague, the one who had started the investigation, who had paid the ultimate price for doing the right thing, as sometimes it had to be. She was buried with full honours, which was something for the grieving family. Monsoon made a solemn vow to stay alive long enough to take down as many masterminds as he could. Over the years, he had some success and with each success, his name moved up the most wanted dead board. By the time he left the Solar Force, he was quietly confident that he must be at least ranked in the top 20. After all, several attempts had been made on his life. It was perhaps fortunate that traders weren't that obsessed with such things, and usually only put out bounties after a particularly costly police intervention. Monsoon knew, in the grand scheme of things, that the smuggling he stopped was but a speck of dust in space. It was something, but at the same time nothing. He knew the bigger prize was finding the one holding all the strings. Taking them down would come at a great cost, but, he reasoned, not as much cost as leaving them to grow, to extend their tendrils further into society. It was in the latter years in his career with the Solar Force that Monsoon stumbled across Lisa Tors, a widow of the industrial tycoon Edwin Tors. He was old, she was young. Apparently his heart gave out and she had inherited the empire. This left her with their only child, which, when you have that kind of money and influence, was not something she took a personal interest in. When Monsoon first met her, she was giving a presentation at the Homeworld School. 
She was presenting the legitimate face of her corporation, Torch Trading. To save money, most councils had decided one large school per homeworld was sufficient. This put the properties near the school out of budget for most families. For most schoolers, it was a long walk in from the nearby family zone, only sometimes broken by using a transport token as a special treat. The school would pay good money for a leader in industry to give a talk. This was nothing to do with inspiration and everything to do with credibility. The more kudos a school could generate, the more sponsorship deals it could secure. It was an ever-moving merry-go-round of investment in advertising screens. After all, there was a lot of space on the uniform, and it was important to educate children from an early age. This drink was better than that drink. This food was tastier than that food. That clothing was better than that clothing. And so it went on. Indoctrination of market was essential to future school funding. Learning history, or the correct spelling of words, was a distant second. And what did it matter when you were miles underground mining ore that your employer felt was too dangerous for his droids to attempt? That would be the future for most. For the small clique of wealthy, private education and buying examination results was all they needed to focus on. Monsoon attended Lisa Torr's talk incognito. Of course, he knew her security team would know he was there, but at least he made an effort at discretion. He listened to Lisa talk, to her speech about dedication and success. Naturally, she left out the murder and torture. But that was just good business. After the schoolers had completed their standing ovation, something they did automatically as they could ill afford to lose their learning points, Monsoon had approached the stage. He just wanted to talk. Nonetheless, her security made an impressive wall. Like a true corrupt leader, safe in the knowledge Monsoon had a code of conduct, she waved them away. Lisa Tors shook his hand and smiled. In her eyes, Monsoon saw the faces of her victims. In her smile, how little she cared. She gripped his hand hard and only let go when she wanted to. Another victory. Monsoon leant in and whispered. He whispered that he knew who she really was. What she really did. How it could not last. She stifled a laugh and whispered back. She had no idea what he was talking about. Anyway, if he had evidence, surely he'd be here to arrest her. She was sorry to hear that one of the heroes of the Venus smuggling incident had killed herself and extended her best wishes to the family. Monsoon fought the urge, the urge he knew she wanted. Lisa's eyes bore into his, waiting for him to flinch, to make a single move for its weapon. For justification of why her security team had had to react... For a moment, just for a moment, a fleck of annoyance traced a line across her face. Monsoon did not react. It was taking all his control, but he did not react. Lisa Torres pressed the button again, wondering how the bereaved of the fallen were doing. That she heard he was taking his partner on holiday soon, to try and be normal. The travelling to Callisto could be fraught with danger. This was nearly enough to force Monsoon's permanent resignation from the solar force. In his head, he weighed up the option of drawing his weapon. Could he shoot before the security team blew him apart? His hands flexed ever so slightly, but not enough to give a tell. Monsoon stepped away from Lisa Tors, not breaking eye contact. With a flourish, she smiled at Monsoon, then swept away to enjoy, for a moment, time with the fawning head teacher. Monsoon was woken abruptly from his memories of that first meeting. The mech battery was flashing red. 
no amber, no warning, straight to red. There were downsides to second-hand equipment. Monsoon was still a short distance from the maintenance sector as he phased back into view. As he did, council staff immediately reported a stranger in their midst. It did not take long for Solar Force officers to hear of this and guess who the stranger was. Within seconds, alarms and klaxons started to ring. That was a problem with administrators. They were irritatingly good at process. Monsoon broke into a run. He had to reach the maintenance sector. Capture now would assure him a one-way ticket to Pluto. A few of the more zealous council employees made half-hearted attempts to grab Monsoon, but no one was that keen to hold on to a stranger. Security drones swept in and zoned in on Monsoon. They needed to capture his image, what he looked like. Could it be the wanted fugitive in disguise? Monsoon's run became a desperate race. The security drones drew ever closer. They repeated the same message over and over. Stop and drop! Stop and drop! Stop and drop! With the final power supply from the battery, Monsoon triggered an EMP pulse. The lead security drones fell from the sky, exploding as they hit the ground. This was not equipment Solar Force wanted people getting their hands on. The explosion cemented Monsoon's new career as a fugitive. An innocent man would stop. An innocent man would accept arrest. Only the guilty ran. Everyone knew that. No exceptions. You have been listening to Monsoon Jackson. Created and written by Andy Case for Leet Motif Productions Limited. The narrator, Monson Jackson, was voiced by Cameron K. McEwen. Other characters were voiced by Michelle Duncan and Cameron K. McEwen. The adverts were voiced by Heather Dent Cowan. The story, all names, characters and incidents portrayed in this production are fictitious. Copyright 2018.